you know, we can't do anything about six months from now. We've got to go day by day. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. We play in New Jersey, man, so there's going to be some chippiness, there's going to be some griminess, but we're leaving it within the line, and I'll take a team like that. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of All In with Arch Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am Arch Stapleton, the beat writer for the New York Giants, for NorthJersey.com, for the record, and for the USA Today Network. Well, it's here, folks. Game one, Giants, Broncos, MetLife Stadium, Sunday at 425, has it felt like months and months since we found out the schedule that this was going to be the game that kickstarts Joe Judge's second season on the sideline with Big Blue? Well, we've only had this show for two weeks, this being episode three, and I feel like we've talked in circles about expectations and what to anticipate, and will Saquon Barkley be ready, and will Kenny Galladay be ready, and what about Kadarius Tony and Adoree Jackson, and all the things that lead up to Sunday at 425. Now, I think there's going to be some juice in the building. I think this game right now is really setting the stage for what, it's just excitement. It's 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 palpable in the NFL. You know, you're kicking off with the Buccaneers and the Cowboys, and then obviously Giants sitting there at 4:25 on Sunday. It's gonna be fun. That, that's all I know. On this week's show, we got a jam-packed show for you. Blake Martinez, captain, New York Giants. I sat down with him after practice on Labor Day. He was a great interview talking about his journey from a construction site when he was younger with his father, learning the ATD, attention to detail. He'll get into that. Also, some fun with a two-minute drill, four questions, one football, three non-football. It was definitely an entertaining segment with Blake, so I hope you guys enjoy that. Right along the lines of the Logan Ryan and Sterling Shepard interviews. Hope you guys have enjoyed those. I don't think you can get them anywhere else uh, besides the All In podcast here. So we're working hard to make sure you get something unique and authentic every single week. Then, back-to-back guests coming on. Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network, one of the most respected voices in the NFL. Mike will talk Giants and NFC East with me. He'll also make his pick. I'm not sure if he pandered to the home crowd or not, but you'll hear that. And then we have John Heath of the Broncos Wire in our debut of the Behind Frenemy Lines, talking about the opponent for the Giants that week, offering up questions that we think... Giants fans need to know going into that week's matchup. Giants plus three, according to our friends at Tipico, against the Broncos. And that those odds have increased. They started out at one and a half point underdogs and are now extended to three. I'm not sure if Vegas or the betting public has been watching reruns of the Giants-Patriots preseason game, but it certainly sounds like that's where we're at. You know, they look bad for a couple series against the Patriots, and all of a sudden, it's like NFL Nation has jumped off the Giants' bandwagon very quickly. And that's something that I think Joe Judge will use to his advantage this weekend. I think when you look at the Giants, they've been 0-2 for seven of the last eight years. That's just it's just unheard of. It's it's unacceptable to be able to put out that kind of product. So I do think there is urgency and pressure on the Giants a little bit, especially with Washington waiting in the wings on Thursday night. Washington has its own tough opener against Justin Herbert and the Chargers. So it's not like Washington is a cakewalk to be sitting there at 1-0. and But they're the defending champs in the NFC East, and that's who the Giants, the Cowboys, and the Eagles need to be gunning for. So 
that Thursday night game is going to be a huge game. The Giants certainly would love to carry some momentum down to Landover, and that starts really from jump on Sunday. You know, the Giants, to me, a big key in this game. This defense has to create advantages and edges for the overall team because the Broncos are coming here believing that they are going to dominate defensively. And I think the Giants need to do the same to the Broncos' offense. You know, I know there's a running game with Javante Williams, the talented rookie, and Melvin Gordon, and Teddy Bridgewater is supposed to be the steady Eddie, and he's not going to throw the ball around like Drew Locke and put it in harm's way. Well, you know what? It's up to the Giants to force Bridgewater to have to play more aggressively than what he wants. You need to make that Pat Shermer offense that the Giants knew so well one-dimensional. You need to take the run away, and you need to force Bridgewater to try to make some plays. And that defense of the Giants needs to come out firing on all cylinders early in the game. Point-blank period. The offense can't make mistakes early, but if they're a little sluggish, that's okay. The defense needs to be the one that dictates tempo, dictates the pace of this game, the way things are going to be played, Because you can't allow a defensive-minded team like Denver to come in here and push you around. And I think, obviously, there will be a lot of attention on the offensive line. At this point, I think you're going to see Andrew Thomas at left tackle. You'll probably see Nate Solder start at right tackle. I think the Giants are just going with the better player right now. I don't think they want to prove something by putting Matt Parrott out there at right tackle. And I've seen a lot of criticism that, oh, the Giants are ruining the developmental plan of Matt Parrott. Look, I'll look at it this way. Matt Parrott, if he's not ready to play, or if they think Nate Solder gives them their best option against Denver, they'd be pretty stubborn if they just decided, you know what, we're going to play Matt Parrott because that's the best for the Giants in 2022. Giants fans want this team to win. And if they believe they could win with a mix of Solder and Pert at right tackle and with Solder starting so that Pert doesn't get blitzed on the first series of the game, I have no problem with it. I got to be honest. I understand, you know, there are people who look at Matt Pert and say, well, he was the reason why the Giants didn't draft Rayshon Slater. I, I don't think that's the case. Would I have looked at that differently if I saw Matt Pert becoming Second string at right tackle, maybe. But I think that's also a reaction. I don't believe that Matt Parrott is completely being given up on by the Giants. I think they're looking at a situation and say, you know what? This is the best opportunity to deal with what the Broncos have up front. Play Solder, work Parrott in, and go from that respect. So in that situation, we'll see how it works out. Uh, Solder is obviously an interesting story with everything that we want to talk about as far as players who give take pay cuts and refuse pay cuts and get cut and all this stuff. Solder took a massive pay cut to come back after opting out last year. And opting out last year, he was he was in his right to do so for his family. I'm not sure, not comparing and contrasting across the league, but I don't know if any player was more affected in terms of fears for his family and for the health of his family last year in the middle of a pandemic than Nate Solder was. So he comes back. The Giants like the way he's looked this summer. Let's see what he does at right tackle. This is no longer trying to justify a big contract for Nate Solder. This is putting the best lineman in the best situation that you can to beat the Broncos, period. And I think... To me, you have to respect them if they make that call. We're recording this after Wednesday's practice. So just a rundown of the injury report participation with Saquon Barkley, Adoree Jackson, Kenny Galladay. The list goes on and on. Kadarius Toney. They're all listed as limited participants. And what that means is if they are less than their normal reps given in practice, which could be just one or two reps that go to someone else because they're nursing an injury. They have to be listed as limited. So that's where we're at. I think everybody but Evan Ingram 
who did not practice Wednesday will be given an opportunity to play on Sunday. I think you'll see Barkley. I think you'll see Galladay. I think you'll see Kyle Rudolph. I think you'll see Adoree Jackson. And I believe you will see Kadarius Toney make his NFL debut. Now, there could be varying stages of workload. With Saquon Barkley, I believe if he's, if he's healthy, he's going to be out there making plays. Will he get the ball 20 times? No, probably not. But I don't think that the Giants will shy away uh, if they declare him healthy and ready to go. I think Galladay will get a full complement of snaps. Tony, I think, will be in for a package. I think you may also see him as a kick returner. And I do believe that Adoree Jackson will be in the lineup opposite James Bradbury. I also think you'll see Kyle Rudolph play a good number of snaps with Caden Smith on Sunday. So I mentioned the the odds for this game, Broncos minus three against the Giants. That's from our friends, our new sports betting partners, Tipico. Tipico Sportsbook, a global sports betting leader, is now live in New Jersey and Colorado. Make your favorite sports more interesting with Tipico's fast and easy mobile sportsbook app. For a limited time, new users from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Terms and conditions apply, 21 and over. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. You want to talk valuable players on the New York Giants, especially on defense? Blake Martinez is at the top of the list. Inside linebacker, over 140 tackles each of the past four seasons, including his debut season with the Giants last year. I had the opportunity to sit down with Blake on Labor Day after practice, talk a variety of topics, including a fun segment we like to call Two Minute Drill. I think you guys will enjoy it. Here's Blake Martinez. Okay, I'm here with Blake Martinez. Blake, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you guys are out here on Labor Day, kind of an extra practice, that bonus practice uh, Joe Judge was calling it. Does it feel now that the focus has completely turned to week one and when the fun really begins? Oh, yeah, no, 100%. I think he kind of got that sense even last week, uh, just working in the extra two practices and things like that. Um, and this whole weekend I've just been itching to get out here, so it was awesome to kind of have that bonus practice today. I wanted to ask you a little bit um, because I, it always strikes me as the preparation for games. And I know, you know, going back to really your college days or probably even your high school days, oh, yeah. you're always a prep guy. Oh, 100%. When do you – take me inside your lab. We always hear about Patrick Graham's lab. <laughs> uh, take me inside your lab a little bit. Broncos coming up September 12th. When does Blake Martinez start getting that itch to start filing in the film and, and really start breaking down aspects of what you're going to see on the season opener? Yeah, I think young Blake Martinez would have been diving in way too much uh, this last weekend and on Monday, Tuesday, uh, or I guess Monday. Um, but for me now, my kind of regiment is kind of give it some time, give myself some, I don't know, away from football time so it doesn't over overdo it in a sense and overthink things uh, but on Tuesday night I pretty much dive in I start off watching the other linebackers I don't even watch their offense I watch other linebackers play against them and see how successful they were whether it's top linebackers in the league at the time whoever's having a great season um, and see what they did to attack them and what they did to beat blocks and all of those types of things um, and then once Wednesday comes around we get first second down in then I start hitting those and seeing hey what do they like to do on first second down formations tendencies motions all these what different people they put in um, packages everything on that aspect and then Thursday third down um, Friday red area um, and then kind of Saturday is where I put it all together and basically get ready to go on uh, Sunday is it is it one of those things where you're looking at uh, you know like the offense that Denver's running now I mean Pat Shermer obviously was head coach here was yep. offensive coordinator in Minnesota yep I would imagine young Blake goes way back how does current Blake treat that do you go all the way back for Shermer's days in Minnesota or do you try to peel back a little bit and say alright 
let's keep the focus on Denver. No, definitely. I think there's certain aspects you can go back um, and see certain things. I think for right now, it's probably more um, things that we'll do now just because you don't, all you have is preseason and nobody's going to show everything in preseason, obviously. Um, and so you kind of try to look at those type of things and see tendencies, maybe what type of defenses we're going to put out there um, and how they attack those types of things and, and kind of get somewhat of a beat on it. Um, but you obviously know when you go into a game, they're going to show something new no matter what. You, uh, in terms of your, your notebooks at Stanford, it was legendary oh, yeah. from the research I did. Have you continued that in the NFL? And oh, yeah. You got yeah. guys, you know, trying to cheat off you in, <laughs> no, in yeah. meeting rooms? Yeah, my thing now is being able to help the other guys around me. Um, see and learn about my preparation and I can learn from them. Um, it's kind of you scratch my back, I scratch your back type of thing. Um, and I've learned a lot, they've learned a lot. Uh, but yeah, I, I keep those notebooks and I still have, I'm pretty sure all of them unless my mom somehow threw them away like my Pokemon cards, but we won't get to that. We won't get to that on this segment. <laughs> well, we could talk Pokemon, but might need an hour. Yes, it is very true, very true. Uh, um, does that go all the way back? I remember when you came here, we were asking you stories about when you worked with your dad a little bit and you know the the, the nails. Uh, why don't you tell? Can you tell that story yeah. a little bit? You've told it thousands of times, but oh, yeah. does that speak to your attention to detail and why it fits so well with this coaching staff? No, hundred percent. And yeah, that's where kind of my dad instilled that uh, ATD attention to detail to me. Is basically whenever he he works construction, um, so whenever he built the pad, the first thing they had to do was clean up all the nails from the framing uh, to make sure none of the equipment tires or any anything any of the tires got popped um, and so you basically have me walk around with this little small magnet pick up all the nails um, and every nail I picked up I got a penny and if I picked them all up and he didn't find any he would pay me and if I didn't I wouldn't get paid uh, most of the time he end up would like still do something for me um, as a kid but it, it taught me that the first time you do something you do it right um, because something there's there's consequences if you don't what was what you remember? What the most nails you ever picked up? I think there like one time it was a like ten dollars, so like a thousand nails. It was yeah, I was I was like the happiest kid ever. <laughs> What'd you buy with it? Do you remember? Uh, I think Pokemon cards. I'm not gonna lie, it had to be Pokemon cards. <laughs> of course, yes, it had to be. How did you? Uh, let, let's. I gotta talk about the elephant in the room. How did you get back into the Pokemon stuff? Yeah, I basically started after the season. I saw trading cards kind of going through the roof, and so I was like, oh, I need to see where like my Pokemon cards are. Um, and then I found out they were gone. And so at that point, um, I started getting into breaks and things like that. And it kind of just skyrocketed from there. So they're gone, meaning your mom, yeah, my mom. and whatever moved? Yeah, or... she says that like someone else moved them or they're somewhere. But some reason we can't find them still. So <laughs> we'll just leave it as a mystery. No, I'm not. you're not begging for, for a contract, you know, but probably some pretty good money that just got... Put away oh, yeah. with those Pokemon. Oh, 100%. Cards. I know at least I have a couple Charizards in there, and that's, that's some good money nowadays. <laughs> um, take me to this season. Expectations. You know what it's like to come to this franchise, to this city. Um, I don't want to ask you what you thought you accomplished last year, but how, how confident were you in what you were able to do coming into now year two? No, I feel extremely confident just kind of taking every day to get better at certain things, weaknesses and strengths and that type of thing. Um, and I think as the season went on, my trust, Pat's trust in me, um, and it just allowed me to play my style of football. Um, and it's just been awesome to be able to be here, and I'm just having probably the most fun I've ever had this year uh, playing football in my whole career. Biggest challenge Teddy Bridgewater uh, poses in week one. No, he's the, the classic dual threat quarterback. Uh, he's able to extend plays, get outside the pocket, um, do everything they need him to do, make the throws they need him to make. Um, and it's just be able to get pressure on him and not allow him to do that. Logan Ryan said last week that uh, it was back in Foxborough that if he has a bad day or you have a bad day or if you have a bad day together, you guys are going to get beat by 100. I would imagine you didn't get beat by 100 in that first joint practice, but neither one of you – had a good day. No. Um, how much ownership does Patrick Graham allow you guys to take of this defense? No, I think he allows us to take a lot. I think starting off, it's more his defense, um, but he always talks about giving us the keys. It's our defense at the end of the day, um, and I think as the season goes on, even this first game, you're going to see a lot more freedom from us, uh, me and Logan being as the signal callers, uh, to, to make plays and do things on the fly that, that we know we can do, and he trusts us to do them. 
All right, I'm going to go for a little two-minute drill, try Uh-oh. something different this week. Just four questions, four downs, a little fun, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I did the research, 663 total tackles in your career, five years. My shoulders hurt. 417 <laughs> solo. And then each of the last four years, worth mentioning, 144, 144, 155, 151. Through all that, who's the toughest player you've ever had to tackle? I'd probably say Christian McCaffrey. Why? Just his ability. I, I don't think people understand how strong he is and how hard of a tackle. Like, when he comes at you full force, it's still extremely hard tackle no matter what. Um, and he's just shifty as hell. So convenient that it comes on Marvel Day where you're exactly. going to Exactly. Oh, yeah. Down. It's time. i got to get the superpowers out for that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, you took a lot of classes at Stanford. Obviously, you know, I'm sure the listening audience, if you're only football-related, will be kind of bored. What's the most fun class you took at Stanford? And maybe people will be surprised. Ooh. I'd probably say my CS class, computer science. I got to learn how to make how like we have GPS on our phone. I basically made that um, in class. So it was one of the most rewarding things I ever did. So missed opportunity to make some more. Yes, cash. exactly. Uh, what is the best meal you've ever had? Ooh, so basically, me and my buddy went to Copenhagen. Uh, it's called Geranium. It was like the ninth best restaurant in the world, and it was probably wow. the best food I've ever had in my life. How do you end up there? So my buddy was working esports at the time, and there was an esports event out there. So we went there, and we were like, "Oh, let's look up a good restaurant." And that was one that was close by, and we got reservations. You remember what you had? So it, I mean, it was everything. It had steak, pork, fish, all these different things. The number one thing was the dessert. It basically was this like icicle, and they were just like, "Hey, put in your." mouth and it just like dissolved and it was probably the craziest sensation of like taste ever (laughs) that's great all right last one if you could attend any concert just one concert of anyone any act of all time living passed away anything what would it be Ooh, that's a tough one um i'd probably uh probably eminem back in like his prime he's like the number one person that i've like watched all the time like back in the eight mile days i think that'd be amazing have you ever have you ever seen him yeah so i actually got to see him at i think it was bonnaroo like a festival thing going on and he was the main event and it was like amazing still but that was like a couple years ago i can only imagine like back in the day like when he's doing his rap battles and things like that like that would have been iconic all right listen man i really appreciate you joining me giving me the time after practice Good luck this season. One of seven captains now. Yep. And uh, congratulations on that. No, thank you so much. Have a great season and good luck. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, man. Special thanks to Blake Martinez and Dion Dargan of the New York Giants for setting that interview up. You know, it was great to sit down with Blake, and I I thought his answer to the football question of the two-minute drill was pretty honest in terms of naming Christian McCaffrey. And immediately, as I joked to him, October 24th, MetLife Stadium, Carolina Panthers, New York Giants, and Christian McCaffrey, the first time he touches the football, all I'm going to think about is how Blake Martinez on All In with Art Stapleton talked about how difficult to tackle McCaffrey is. That's going to be some fun game. And like I said, that's the Marvel day for the Giants. So... Somebody is going to use their superpowers that day to be a little corny, but that kind of fits into what Blake said. Uh, It'll be fun to watch Blake Martinez continue to develop in the middle of this Giants defense. You know, it's funny. Sometimes you have a national perspective of an NFL football team, and then you have the local perspective, and they don't always mesh. Well, I wanted to bring in a guest that, kind of does blend both of those and that's Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network as I mentioned earlier Mike is a good friend of mine I have a lot of respect for the work he's done through his work at the Star Ledger on the Giants beat USA Today and then obviously now as one of the most respected voices at NFL Network we talked Giants we talked NFC East Mike even made his pick for the division winner I think he might be playing to the home crowd but let's listen to the interview I did with Mike Garofolo. All right, joining me now, good friend of mine, one of the best in the business, Mike Garofolo, NFL Network. Obviously, 
any Giants fans tuning into this podcast are well aware of Mike. Uh, set the standard for, for beat writing, uh, according to Giants fans. And anyone who's on the beat now always hears about the legendary stories of Mike. What they don't tell you is the times they used to complain about him as well. But that's just the world of our business. Mike, thanks for joining me. Appreciate it. Listen, man, I appreciate it. Um, absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's all. <laughs> but I appreciate it, dude. Absolutely. Hey, great to talk to you, Art. Always. And, you know, the absence for the Giants from the playoffs is something that's become a theme around here. Uh, so let, let's jump in. I figured we, we can talk a little Giants perspective, your perspective, the national perspective, and then maybe do a little run around the NFC East if you're up for that. Sure. Let's go. Um, with the Giants, you know, it, it's funny because I've listened to you. I've watched you on TV. I've heard you trying to give the perspective of inside the building of what people say about Joe Judge and what they're trying to build. And the inside perception seems a lot different than the outside perception. You're around the league. You hear people, whether it's in the media or in other organizations, when it comes up. What is the perspective or the perception of what the Giants have here going into year two? Um, I, you know, I, I, I would say that uh, I'm surprised there isn't more around the league uh, optimism, right? And, and and I mean, inside they 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 feel like they've got a guy who has the emotional intelligence, the ability to um, demand stuff out of these guys, uh, but not do it in a way where they feel like they're being dictated to. I mean, that's been the problem with Belichick disciples, um, you know, in, in, in recent years. Um, you know, I, 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 they feel good about the way things ended last year. Now, you know, I, I understand that, they weren't exactly the toughest teams that they knocked off down the stretch there um, and some backup quarterbacks and whatnot. Um, but there was a win in Seattle that I remember vividly that was really impressive. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm just, I am surprised that more people around the league aren't saying like, hey, the Giants got a good thing going right there. They're, they're still skeptical. Of the, I'm probably more skeptical of the quarterback than anything. But, um, you know, Giants feel really good about what they've got in Joe Judge, I'll tell you that. You know, it, it it strikes me, and I think it, it definitely happens in a pocket of the Giants fans about the angst and the anger towards Dave Gettleman and, to an extension, John Mara. Um, and I think the bullseye nationally stays on Gettleman, and it's almost like the character that Dave put out there kind of lends itself to this, this national just the Giants are a mockery and look at the, they're so old school and set in their ways when it's really a strange thing because you step on the grounds at the facility and it just seems different. You know, it just seems different than what they've done in the past. So I've always had a hard time. I almost get the sense that it's Dave Gettleman who isn't necessarily buddy buddy with everybody that it's almost created this perception that he's the guy calling all the shots and and i don't see it that way i'm not sure if that's if you see any of that um well run that back a second though because you're saying you you it's more of a collaborative thing whereas around the league everybody's just looking at dave and kind of saying oh it's an old stodgy guy trying to do the way they used to do it and and all that stuff right pretty much i mean that that seems to be the sense that i get that if you're going to take a shot at the giants you're taking a shot at gettleman yeah yeah and and i you know listen i remember hearing things about you know gettleman when he used to scout games had this old device that he would speak into in the press box and it was because um, that that's what he was comfortable doing, and I, I just remember some of the younger guys like, "You got to be kidding me!" But you know, but um, that's not to say that you know he can't do a good job of identifying talent and spotting talent and putting it together or helping put it together over the years. I mean, he, I, I, I just, I am a little surprised that we are where we are, and this offensive line is still a question mark. Um, in large part because uh, you know I remember having a conversation when he was in Carolina. Um, we talked before a game that I covered down there and he said, you know, for all that, you know, all the talk about Eli and Plaxico and all the, uh, the defense, uh, that made 
you know that the the at least the first two Super Bowl teams successful, you know we didn't we didn't give enough credit to the offensive line and, and how good they were. And I you know I for a guy to recognize that and and still be at a point where he's not quite rebuilt it here, uh, and there are severe questions going in. I think that that's you know one of the big question marks for those around the league that they still look at and say, well, you know he's identifying problems and not fixing them. So maybe he just doesn't have a a, a a beat on the new style of player or whatever. I don't know. Um, we'll see. I, I think this think this line could be better than people think coming into this year. You know, you and I were watching the same thing that Sunday night against the Patriots and had the same feeling early on in that game is that the way the offensive line caved in, especially Andrew Thomas had a rough couple series, that – Will we ever see the best out of Daniel Jones? Will we ever be able to make that assessment? I know you had that feeling. I certainly have had that feeling at times. Is that also part of this for the evaluation of Daniel Jones? Is that people around the league just don't know if he's ever going to be able to show the things that the Giants believe he has? Well, I mean, you know, the joke I made was he could be the greatest uh, quarterback of our generation and we would never know because he's just never able to kind of stand back there. And, you know, I I just the last couple of years been watching him. He gets to the top of his drop and as soon as he gets there, he's he's having the move. Um, And I actually think that he's not um, as skittish as somebody like that should be or or, or could be because when he does have time, I, I think he does look relaxed. So, um, you know, I, 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 again, I still think the line's going to be better. I think they're going to scheme it up better. You know, we'll be still in the preseason. Nothing was really schemed. It was just, you know, can you win your one-on-one blocks? In, in large part, because we want to evaluate what we've got, right? And, and they, they, they proved that they can't, but can they work together better as a group? I, I think there's still a possibility of that. Um, but, you know, it, 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 Daniel Jones has got a, you know, it, 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 you can be a little Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, right? You can you can be a little, even if it's breaking down in front of me, I'm going to do everything I can to, to make a play. But you can't be that all the time, right? And it's just, it's got to get to a point where, you know, he's got a decent running game and a decent protection and decent targets. I feel like he should get that this year. Um, so I, I think we hope we're going to get a good read on Daniel Jones finally this year. So now I know you, having spoken to you, having been at practice with you, I know how you feel, and I know you, you know, you're you're not one of those national guys who has has given up already on the Giants' chances in this division. But take me around a little bit in the division first off in in Washington, from what you've seen, what you heard, um, what's the read on Ron Rivera's team in in year two after winning the title last year, albeit in um, weird, strange fashion. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at it and you say they should be better, right? I mean, they 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 retain their defensive line. Um, they got even deeper there. Um, they it is the strength uh, of their defense, and they signed William Jackson on the back end. They're getting Landon Collins back, so they should be better there, which is scary because they're a really good defense. And then Fitzpatrick should give them better quarterback play, right? So, uh, but that being said, you know, there's still uh, I still want to see it all come together, and I still don't know that Fitz is going to come in and play as smoothly as we thought. I mean, there's this notion of we saw him a little bit last year and, and measured up against Tua, you know, it was, it was wow, the guy was lights out. Right. Let's see what another change of scenery uh, and a different offense is going to mean to him. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see about that part. Um, but, you know, I, I, if you're looking for the team that's going to be bringing up the rear, you know, I, I don't I don't think you can make the case for them at all. Um, I think the other three teams you could potentially make a case for. Um, I, I, you, you, they're, they're at least middle of the pack, uh, hunting for a wild card, or at least nosing around the top of the division and making you work for it, for sure. So we always see this, you know, another team I don't think people think will be coming from behind in the division or at least playing from the basement this year, mm-hmm. provided Dak stays healthy, are the Cowboys, but... They always get that bump in the summer. You know, Jerry's out there talking about how good they're going to be and hard knocks and, and what have you. But I have to think that there are serious questions about their defense this year. I know Dan Quinn is respected. Look, we, we all like Dan Quinn, right? I mean, he, he was great when he was an assistant, became the head coach. He's great with the media. Um, you know, 
I don't know if they've solved those defensive problems, even though they they seemingly have you know eight linebackers on the depth chart that you know are supposed to be good. What do you what's your feeling on the Cowboys? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to be a dominant defense. They should be better. Um, you know, it, 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 they've got a guy that's at least going to get them playing fast, and a guy that they want to play for, and a guy that uh, they're going to. They just never bought into Mike Nolan's system, despite you know Alvin Smith who was there telling them, "I've played in the system. It works. You got to buy in." They they just never did for some reason. Um, so you know, they, they they seem to like Quinn. They seem to like the scheme. Um, they should be better in that regard. Um, so, you know, it, it, I, I, I still have questions offensively. You know, Kellen Moore is, you know, talked about as a really good coordinator, a really good schematic. I want to see it for the entire season. I want to see it where they're putting stuff on tape and then defenses are coming with answers and see if he can respond to that. Um, you know, I, I just I think it, it's crazy to assume that Dak Prescott is going to pick up on his 6,000-yard pace from last year, yeah. um, although I hope so. I drafted him in fantasy. Um <laughs> But, uh, you know, we'll, 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 I, I just see a more tightly packed division, right? Like, it was tightly packed in the wrong way last year. I think everybody's – you go through these teams, you're like, well, these guys should be better. These guys should be better. Everybody should be better. Everybody should be better and, and at least move the entire – a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing where yeah. everybody's kind of around the 500 mark and just see who's going to emerge in the end. You know, what strikes me about the Cowboys before we move on to the Eagles uh, is just, is this offensive line still the standard in the league? You know, because we no. went, through, you know, that that that's a big knock against Dallas if they're not. If their offensive line plays like it did last year and has the same issues, I, I think this offense is going to have, have issues. I mean, look no further than East Rutherford with the Giants and how an offensive line can wreck all plans when you have playmakers at every spot. Yeah, and, and I, you know, this, everybody thinks, oh, Cowboys, strong offensive line. I, I, we're a couple years removed from that, right? Where they were five wide, incredibly strong, you know, invested multiple first round picks, kind of like, um, the Washington did on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you do that enough, you're going to have some guys up there that can really beat. But I, I think th- th- this line in a lot of ways is, is past its prime. And, you know, Tyron Smith dealt with injury and, uh, you know, they, they, Travis Frederick, they don't have anymore. And, and, and uh, you know, Lyle Collins is good. He hasn't really been great. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I think we may be overrating that offensive line a little bit. So we'll see. Then obviously you go to, go to Philly. And uh, to me, I think the danger for the rest of this division is to, to completely underrate what Philly has because of the new head coach. Because of, you know, everybody wanted to make a big deal about rock, paper, scissors and making them, you know, let's mock the Eagles. But they've got some talent on both sides of the ball, especially up front. Give me your take on the Eagles. You spent a lot of time with them this summer. Uh, and what are their chances? I mean, it, is it fair to say we've written them off prematurely? No, I mean, I think they could play spoiler. I think their last – let me look up their schedule. I think they're la- after Thanksgiving, they don't get on a plane, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and, and there's a lot of divisional games uh, backloaded on their schedule. Let's take a look at it here. So, um, the last game against the Cowboys at home, Washington Week 17 uh, in Washington. Eagles – I'm sorry, Giants at home – the day after Christmas, uh, Washington home. So one, two, three, four, five of their last six games are divisional games. Uh, the road games are MetLife for the Giants, MetLife for the Jets, back-to-back weeks, uh, and Washington. So, yeah, no planes. The last time they get on a plane is to go to Denver on November 14th. Wow. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. It is. So the last seven weeks, all drivable or, or games at home. Um yeah, so I, you know, I could see them towards the end playing spoiler. You know, who who, who are they going to play spoiler for? I, I mean, you know, they got this schedule is nuts. <laughs> you said Washington twice, Giants twice, and Dallas once, right? In in that last group of games. Yeah, uh, and the first Dallas game is September twenty seventh, so they've got one divisional game uh, in the first two-thirds of the season, and then they all come at the end. Wow. And I've gone over this. This is like the fourth time I've done this, and every time I go back, I'm like, 
surprised all over again how crazy the schedule is. They've got the Giants uh, back-to-back in a – not back-to-back, but two games against the Giants in a four-week span, two games against Washington in a three-week span, and then back-to-back games at MetLife against the Giants. And It's just a weird, weird, weird schedule. Um so yeah, I, you know, it's the team that if they stay healthy, I think could could play spoiler towards the end, and maybe they finish strong and they win a bunch of games toward the end. Um, I, I actually think the worst thing for the Eagles this year is for them to be just okay, and for Jalen Hurts to be okay, right? Because now your your draft pick that you're getting, now they're getting Miami's, and I actually think Miami could struggle a little bit this year. I, I if I'm the Eagles, I'm feeling good about Miami's pick, um, and then they've got. Uh, their own pick, but you devalue your own pick by winning some games at the end, which they didn't do last year. Hello, in week 17. Um, <laughs> no need to remind anybody here. No. Uh, so, you know, if they stay healthy on both sides, like you talked about, they feel like they're going to be competitive. They've got enough veterans up front that they feel like they're going to give teams trouble. I could see them, you know, down the stretch kind of winning some games, but I just I can't put them in the playoff conversation and the division winning. Con- I, just, I can't. That's the only team I can't really put them in, in the conversation for us. So I know you don't pick the games during the year, uh, but you do kind of pick the winners, right, of a division? Can, can you give me a winner who who you yeah, got winning the division? Uh, yeah, I've said Giants, I, and I'm not just playing to the home crowd. I've said Giants, and, you know, maybe I'm a little stronger on it because, you know, yeah, what, what good is it to be like, hey, the Giants are going to be better right. nine and eight, eight and nine. <laughs> now let's just go all the way. I've got the Giants winning the division. Um, you know, what I what – I, uh, risk any of my uh, hard-earned money on that? No, I'm not allowed to anyway, but I certainly wouldn't. Um, but I, I think that there's a chance. I think there's a chance they come together. Um, I, I, I saw a team that, you know, learned how – I mean, week one out of the gate. This was – I still remember this. They played that Pittsburgh game. They lost by 10. And if you looked at the final score, you'd say, oh, Giants got beat handling. They made Pittsburgh work for that win right out of the gate. And I said immediately, I remember on the show the following Saturday on Good Morning Football, I said, I already know this team is going to make you work for it more than Pat Shermer's teams did, more than Ben McAdoo's teams did. They're going to play tougher, smarter football. I can, I'm not saying they're going to go and, and make the playoffs, which they certainly did, or win a ton of games, which they certainly didn't, but they're going to make you work for it. And they did. And uh, I remember the following week, they were what? They were down 17 nothing to the Bears. Yeah. Yep. All the Chicago fans, oh, this didn't age well, this didn't age. And then what happened? Tied the game, right? Or, or, or Had a throw into tied. the end. Yeah, they had a throw into the end zone at the end, uh, offensive yeah. pass interference. But that was also the game that they lost Saquon on the second pl- on the first play of the second quarter. So Yeah, and then they came. Yeah, right. And they, they still came back. And I said, this is a team that is going to play smarter. And, and look, and, and I remember talking to Judge about that. And Judge's thing, this was before the Eagles' Thursday night game, which was halfway through the season. A game they should have won, by the way, if Evan Ingram holds on to the football. Yep. Uh, or, or, or Daniel Jones doesn't fall on his face, although I think they scored a touchdown after that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, they did. Anyway, um, you know, I, 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 I remember talking to Joe about it, and he said, yeah, but I, you know, it's not just about playing tough. It's also about understanding the difference between winning and losing, right? Doing those last few things to make sure that you win football games. And I think they learned those lessons. So, yeah, I give, them, I give them a chance to be right there and wouldn't be surprised if they win the division at all. Well, it'll be interesting. I mean, we've heard the narratives around for, for far too long now. I'm sure uh, ownership is is tired of hearing the, the narrative about the offensive line and not being able to win and you know, could could they not start zero and two? You know, I mean, I, I, they they've been zero and two. I think it's seven out of the last eight years, which is insane. So, I do appreciate your time spinning around the NFC East. I know you're busy, um, and like I said, I, I do respect your work and everything you do. So, anytime you'd love to jump on, or I I can get you on, I'd love to get you on the podcast. You got it, brother. I appreciate what you do uh, as well. Keeping us national guys informed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. I'll see you soon, hopefully. So a big thank you for Mike Garofolo of the NFL Network. You can catch him on Saturday, day before the full slate of Sunday action in the NFL. Good morning, football weekend. Believe starts at 9 o'clock on NFL Network. 
Again, I think Mike will be back at some point this season. Too good of a guest to only have once. That brings us to our next segment. We're going to have some fun every week. It's called Behind Frenemy Lines. We're going to talk to someone with perspective of the Giants opponent that week. Give some questions that we think are hot button topics that Giants fans will want to know about the team coming in to play Big Blue. This week, we talked to John Heath of Broncos Wire. Here's what he had to say about Vic Fangio, offensive coordinator Pat Shermer, and their crew getting ready to play the Giants. Okay, big one on Sunday at MetLife Stadium, the Denver Broncos, the New York Giants, and I have with me the managing editor of Broncos Wire, John Heath. John, thanks for joining us this week on All In. Yeah, thanks for having me on. No, no problem. Uh, you know, let's dive into to the Broncos. Few know them better than you do, following them all summer. Uh, number one question, I mean, I figure we fire some questions at you. The number one question to me surrounding the Broncos has to do with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, their health. What are the expectations? You've watched them. You've talked to people in the building. Come Sunday at MetLife, when that first defensive series goes out for the Broncos, will we see Von Miller and Bradley Chubb at their best? Yeah, I think I think we can expect to. I think Miller has his recovery's gone really well. Chubb, he had a little bit of hangups, like uh, just this last past week, he's been a little limited in practice. So Chubb, uh, he's still coming back from the injury. Miller, I think, is completely healthy, completely ready to go. Chubb might have a little lingering effects, but the nice thing for the Broncos is they have Malik Reed. He actually led the team in sacks last year when Miller was sidelined, and this year they just drafted Jonathan Cooper, who looked really sharp as an edge rusher in pass in preseason. So it's nice for the Broncos. They got Miller and Chubb. They can both play, but they can also kind of spell them and keep them fresh. So I think with limiting not limited they're not going to necessarily be a pitch count they at least the broncos haven't said they will be but they have the ability to rotate guys in and i think that will help miller and chubb both that's interesting i think for giants fans and people are coming from a giants perspective because they're it's all been about vaughn and and chubb and it really hasn't been much mentioned about uh about reed or cooper so a little bit more of a rotation maybe a different look the guys you may not be talking about might be the guys that have the impact for the Broncos defensive front. Uh, number two would be, can you give us a sense of where Patrick Sertan fits in an already loaded secondary? I mean, you're probably talking about the best secondary in the league coming into this season. And then you add Sertan, who is a guy that the giants really, really liked in an alternate alternate world. Sertan could be suiting up for the Giants against the Broncos this weekend. Tell me a little bit about the rookie from Alabama. Yeah, it's really interesting because, like you said, they have so much depth. There's almost not room for him in the starting lineup because that's crazy given that for so many teams he could be starting. But they just signed Kyle Fuller and Ronald Darby in the offseason. Those are both outside corners, and they gave them big contracts. So those two guys are definitely your starting outside guys. And then the spot that's left – for Sertan would be in the slot, but they have Bryce Callahan, who, at least according to Pro Football Focus, if you put much stock into the rankings, he was the best slot corner last year. So you can't necessarily bench Bryce Callahan. So it's really going to be a rotation. And Fangio has noted multiple times in the offseason, like there will be plenty of opportunities to have four and even five corners on the field. So they will get on the field. The NFL is a, it's a pass happy league these days. So he's going to get in there, but he's not necessarily going to be a starter. He won't even necessarily be the sliding or the starting slot cornerback. So uh, I think he'll probably rotate with Callahan and sit in like nickel and dime. We'll see him in there. But if they just have two corners, and, and he might rotate with the outside guys, but I think. Darby and Fuller are the starters, and right now he's kind of a luxury, and that's kind of a nice way to get him up to NFL speed. Not that he shouldn't need a lot of time. He's such a top prospect, but they can kind of groom him, and he can learn under the young or the veteran corners, which is really nice for him. That's a, it's an interesting aspect because there was that feeling with Giant fans too back in the draft of when Sertan's name was being floated around, the idea that, well, the Giants just paid Adoree Jackson and they have James Barberry. Why would they bring in another corner? And it's today's NFL. I mean, it really is thinking 
outside the box and bringing in as many covered corners as you can. Because like you mentioned, the good defensive coordinators in this league find a way to get good players on the field. That's reality. I think the Giants have that in Patrick Graham and obviously Vic Fangio being the head coach, but that's his defense. He's going to find a way to get Sertan on the field. Uh, Let's switch to offense and Obviously, we know who's calling the shots as offensive coordinator. Giants fans are very familiar with Pat Shermer, former head coach. Things didn't go very well for Pat here in New York. Uh, But I wanted to ask you about Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, What did Teddy Bridgewater do this summer to beat out Drew Locke? Because I think when this game was put on the calendar for Giants fans, it was... Well, the Giants fans are going to be able to go after an aggressive quarterback like Drew Locke, force him into many mistakes. And week one, now it's Teddy Bridgewater, who's not going to push the envelope too much. How does that fit in and why Bridgewater over Locke? Yeah, I think that kind of honestly plays into why Bridgewater won the job because Locke, give and take with him. He's going to, he'll give you an eight yard touchdown pass to KJ Handler in preseason. Like, that's exciting. But then he'll turn around and he'll throw two deep shots that are intercepted. So it's kind of a trade-off. Like, he's a gunslinger, but that can lead to turnovers. And last year, he had way too many turnovers, interceptions and also fumbling. Even in this preseason, he had a couple more fumbles. So I think they weren't happy with him protecting the ball. And Teddy Bridgewater, in his career, he's done a pretty good job protecting the ball. Last year, he had too many. But I think he gets some grades because the Panthers are bad, and they were without Christian McCaffrey. If you look earlier, like the Saints, when he was on a good team, he didn't have a lot of turnovers. They won with him. And then even earlier with the Vikings, he made Pro Bowl with the Vikings before he went or before he got injured. I'm not saying Bridgewater is going to be a Pro Bowl QB this year, but I think he can protect the ball. He manipulates the pocket. He's a good leader. And he's not going to give you the big chunks like Locke will be able to deep down the field all the time. But if that, if it's like a give and take. If you're able to move the ball, protect the ball, keep the ball, that's better than having some big plays, but also giving up big plays to the defense the other way. So I, I really think the ball security went into a big a, a big part of that decision to start Bridgewater. Can you give me a sense of what Pat Shermer's this offense looks like? You know, Giants fans know what they watched here, but this is an offense that has more talent than the Giants had here uh, and really more ascending talent. Even even in a rookie uh, running back that you guys have, I mean, I I think what people are expecting from Pat Shermer's offense because of his two years here, give a little glimpse into what you've seen this summer and what we may see from the Broncos come Sunday. Yeah, I think they want to run the ball a lot. They have four offensive linemen returning, and then at right tackle they have Bobby Massey. And as long as he stays healthy. I think he's going to be an upgrade over the right tackle last year. The situation was kind of a mess. So in my mind, I might be biased, but in my mind, I think the offensive line is better than last year. I think they can run the ball well. And you already mentioned Javante Williams. He's a very promising back. And Melvin Gordon, he's accomplished back too. So they got two good backs. They got a good offensive line. And then if you if you pound the ball and – teams they have to give respect to Cortland Sutton on the outside Tim Patrick last year had a nice season Jerry Judy in the slot KJ Hamler was burning guys in preseason like I mentioned that 80 yard score that's something that you have to account for so when when defenses have and then there's tight end Noah Fant in the middle field as well he's obviously a threat so when a defense they have to respect those weapons and then when you got two good backs I think they're really going to want to run and it takes pressure off Bridgewater it makes it feel like he doesn't have to do it all it allows him to be kind of like that game manager that I think is what his best role is. He's not going to be uh, uh, go deep down the field. I'm kind of repeating myself on that, but I think they want to run the ball, set up Bridgewater for success, just let him manage the game. You know, it's funny, John, you're talking about Shermer's offense and all the weapons, and I really am having flashbacks <laughs> to 2018 when when Pat was here and the idea that, you know, you had Saquon Barkley and you had Evan Ingram at tight end, so, you know, maybe call him Noah Ingram uh, yeah. you know, or Evan Font. I mean, it, there are a lot of similarities to what Shermer was trying to build here, and then obviously the offensive line. Uh, let him down among other things. So it's interesting to watch whether we're watching more of more of the same from a Shermer offense or it'll be different. I'm sure the Giants defense will try to make it look even worse than what it did in New York at the worst time. Uh, the last thing for you would be, what is your biggest concern or what do you see as the biggest weakness for the Broncos 
winless in September the last two years. So obviously Vic Fangio wants a hot start. What do you think could be the biggest hurdle for this team getting out of the gate strong and even over the course of the season? I don't know if it's necessarily the biggest concern, but I think the biggest weakness by far is special teams. On defense, on paper, they look really sharp. On offense, we've kind of talked about they've got plenty of weapons. But on special teams last year, they let up too many big returns, both on kickoffs and on uh, punt returns. And when you do that, even if you have a good defense, if they're near midfield or past midfield, like every other time you're kicking it to them, you're going to field goals are going to start to add up short fields. They're going to get touchdowns, even with a good D. So I think field position is going to be important for them. And if, if the special teams units last year was not good enough, and even in preseason this year, a lot of their coverage, they were letting teams get real far on the field on them. And it was a problem. Like even with their first team defense in their last preseason game, uh, the, in the last preseason game, the, they weren't even playing a starting offense. And this the backup scored a touchdown and a field goal against the Broncos' starting defense, which is on paper looks like one of the top in the NFL. And it was in part because special teams gave the offense such good field position. So I think that's something that it, the special teams, in my mind, is the biggest weakness. The biggest concern or thing to watch, I think, is just it always comes back to quarterback. If Teddy Bridgewater is better than Drew Locke was last year, I think they can take a step forward and maybe compete for a wild card in the AFC West. But if Bridgewater's about the same or hopefully not worse or just slightly better than Locke, like quarterback really held them back last year. They had the weapons and they had the defense. They just couldn't get it done. So it's the talk's all been great. And even I've talked up uh, Bridgewater. I think he's good enough to get the job done, but they need the results now. That's a that's a great look at the Denver Broncos Giants Week One opponent Sunday. Regular season is here. Make sure you check out John Heath and all his great work on the Broncos Wire as part of the USA Today Network. John, thanks for joining us on All In, and we'll look forward to coverage on Sunday and see which team takes that positive step forward between two teams that struggled a lot in 2020. All right, thank you. Enjoy the game. Want to thank John for his time. Obviously, the Broncos are coming in here expecting to to start their season off with a win. Giants are hoping to do the same. Now it's time for my prediction. Like I said in the open, our friends at Tipico have this as Broncos minus three, which is kind of surprising when you think it started at one and a half. But I do think the betting public has been affected and influenced by the way the Giants looked in a Sunday night preseason game against the Patriots. But either or, I think we're talking about a close game, probably a defensive-minded game. In the end, I like the Giants' chances. I really do. I think there's a lot of talk about how the Broncos are just going to be 100% healthy, and there's no questions about the guys who are injured on their side. Bradley Chubb is already having an issue in practice, not not being able to stay out there and participate fully. We don't know how quickly Von Miller is going to get back to his old pro, all-pro form. The Giants, yes, they have injury questions, but I think all of the guys with injury questions besides Evan Ingram is going are going to play on Sunday. I think you're going to get Kyle Rudolph. You're going to get Kenny Galladay. I think you're going to get Kadarius Toney. And the biggest factor is I do believe you're going to get Saquon Barkley. Now, I don't believe Barkley is going to touch the ball 20 times, but I think he is somebody that the Broncos have to think about. And that in and of itself should slow the pass rush down a little bit against Daniel Jones. Do I have concerns about Jones making plays downfield against this talented Broncos secondary? Yes, of course I do. But if they can go into this game and not turn it over and yet still be aggressive and be a little bit more creative than what they showed really for much of last season and then in the preseason, I think they're going to have an opportunity. I think they're going to get juiced by the crowd. Let's not forget there are a lot of emotions nationally, but also here in New York and New Jersey. It's the 20th anniversary of September 11th this weekend. And you're going to have some pregame stuff about 9-11. And I believe Joe Judge, the history buff that he is and the connection he wants in the community, I think he's going to kind of bring that up and, and stir those emotions a little bit. 
there will be attention paid to first responders in the building. 2020 was a season that was played without fans in the building at MetLife. I think there are a lot of Giants fans who don't live on social media who will walk into that building excited to scream and yell and support this team. And I think they're going to get a boost from it. At the end of the day, they have to make some plays. I think they will. I think Sterling Shepard makes some plays on the inside. I think Saquon Barkley has one or two big plays for him. I think Jabril Peppers may make a play as a punt returner. And this defense has an opportunity to put the pressure on Teddy Bridgewater, stop the run against the Broncos, and force Bridgewater to play a game that he doesn't want to play, which is be more aggressive than what he is, against a Pat Shermer offense that the Giants should certainly be familiar with by breaking it down, not just in his days in Denver and Minnesota, but also his time here with the Giants. So I like the Giants. 23-20, they're going to snap their streak of losing season openers. They're going to finally get off to a good start, the fast start that Joe Judge says he wants. And then two games in five days, Thursday night, prime time, against the Washington football team. I think that's one of those games that you want to bring momentum to. You do not want to go into that game on a lull off of losing your season opener. So that's where we stand. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. We will be back this week before the Washington game to have a brand new episode of All In, episode four. I guess we get to a certain point we can stop counting the episodes. But right now, this is three. We'll have four coming up this week. I just wanted to remind you, we know how invested you are in the New York Giants. So for you, that means there's only one podcast that you need to subscribe and listen to every week. And that's all in.